What the hell? This isn't dead and roasted. This is my house. It's my day off. Why are you here? Oh, I see. You can't get enough stories about the scary shiz that goes on at people's places of work. Well, sadly, I'm busy at the moment, so this compilation of scary retail stories from previous episodes will simply have to do for now. What do you mean my roommate looks sick? I live alone. Anyway, now off with you. Enjoy these tales from the break room. House From TDN I used to work in an auto parts warehouse for about two years. In that time, I experienced a few unexplainable and possibly paranormal occurrences, either completely alone or with a friend or two. I started back in December of 2020. I had just lost my grandmother to COVID-19, which will have some relevance in a second. I came back to work probably earlier than I should have, after being off for only a week to grieve. I was using work to just block everything out that was going on. So when I saw what I saw, I chalked it up to grief and shock taking over my brain. I was working on some car parts one day, just labeling and scanning parts and putting them in bins. I turned towards one of the bay doors behind me, specifically number 20, which is where I always saw it. And for a split second, I saw a human-shaped figure. But it was too quick to catch, because as soon as I focused on it, it was gone. As I stated before, I saw it more than just that once. But for every time I saw it, it just made me continue to think that I was just in shock over my grandmother's passing. That was until my friend slash coworker was working with me one day at the same computer. We were just scanning parts as per usual, listening to music and zoning out. Then he just stops in his tracks and looks towards Bay 20. He turns to me and says, Uh, did you see that? I instantly knew what he was talking about. Or at least I'd hoped I knew. You mean the shadow guy next to Bay 20? Yeah, he's always hiding over there. I said it as a joke, because honestly I didn't expect him to agree with me. But he did. And the face he gave me was that of utter confusion and disbelief. We saw the shadow guy a bunch more times after that, but it was nothing more than just us seeing a glimpse of him. And then nothing. Two other co-workers also came up to me asking if I saw the shadow guy by Bay 20. So it was nice to know it wasn't just me. The second occurrence was something I really didn't ever expect to experience. This one I still can't get over, or explain. Our job required us to work one mandatory Saturday every month. Overtime was included, and it was only four hours just to make up some extra work. Plus, they usually bought pizza at the end of the shift, so it was actually pretty nice. People left you alone, you zone out, listen to a podcast, and just label car parts. But the one thing that sucked was that it was just receiving and picking that were doing anything. There were two pickers and the receiving team, which included me, so the rest of the warehouse was completely empty. You also needed a key to get in if you went outside at all during the shift. So, needless to say, it's pretty creepy. That Saturday in particular, it was me and two other receivers for the shift, and both pickers decided not to show up, so it was just the three of us in the entire warehouse for four hours. Most of the shift went fine. 
we actually got a lot done in that short time. Needless to say, it went pretty smooth, except when I had to use the bathroom. The only bathroom was on the literal opposite side of the warehouse, about a three-minute walk. I decided to take the forklift. Again, the warehouse is empty besides the three of us, so it was pretty darn creepy just driving a forklift through a dark, empty warehouse. I get to the bathroom, do my business, and leave. To preface what I saw happen, the lights in the warehouse are all motion-activated, so just before you go under one, it turns on, and that goes for every single light except the one above the main entrance. Anyway, I get back on the forklift, and I feel all creeped out, so I just instantly try and get out of there. As I'm driving down the main path between shipping and all the aisles of car parts, I look towards the aisles, and I start to notice the lights all the way at the end of each one start turning on. Not the ones next to me, but the ones literally on the other end. One by one they turn on, keeping pace with the forklift. But it's not matching the speed, it's just a little bit slower. Eventually I get back to receiving without getting attacked by a demon or anything, and I think it's over. When I walk past the computers my coworkers are working at, I explain what I saw, obviously thinking I sounded like a lunatic. But they gave me shocked and confused expressions at the exact same time. Apparently, as they heard me coming down the long path with the forklift, the radio my supervisor was carrying started to crackle, as if someone was hitting the talk button on the other end with another radio, which stopped just as I turned the corner into receiving which if you remember what I said before, there wasn't anyone else besides us in the warehouse, and the channel for the radio was specific to just the handhelds we had in the warehouse. There are plenty of other things that happened in that creepy place, but these were the most significant, and definitely the ones that I can't explain and probably will never be able to. A Retail Experience From Shattered Silent Soul a couple of years ago, I used to work at a gas station slash outdoor supply store that my father currently co-owns. I've had many brief but unsettling encounters while working there. For a bit of context, I'll say that at the time of the experience I wish to share, I was a female in my early 20s, somewhat tall but incredibly slim by nature, and my naturally light-colored hair often garnered a lot of unwanted attention from older men during my lifetime. As a summary, in my time working at the store, I was once asked by a customer to climb into the bed of his truck to help load some firewood back at his house. I was almost stalked by a mentally ill man who was actively stalking my younger female coworker and had once nearly attempted to steal a gun from the store while I wasn't there. And moreover, I've received countless lingering and vastly uncomfortable stares and inappropriate remarks from many other men in their 40s and above. But this one experience truly makes me glad I no longer work in retail. This worst encounter occurred during a spring. I was working late one day with an older female coworker. A slightly overweight man entered the store half an hour before closing and asked to have a small propane cylinder filled. That was also a service we provided. My coworker absolutely hated filling the propane tanks, but I didn't mind it. So I said that I'd do it while she took care of another customer who had approached the counter. As such, I donned the protective gloves and walked outside with the man. The massive propane reservoir we had was around the side of the station. It was still in view of the parking lot, 
but not any of the store windows or security cameras. And there was only a dim overhead light illuminating the dusk around us. Effectively, we were invisible to anyone, not directly in front of us, in the otherwise empty parking lot. Once he placed his cylinder onto the platform, I started through the standard routine motions. The man began to make typical small talk. As usual, I was polite like any customer service employee would be, but I started getting an off feeling inside my gut. Something about the man set my anxiety off, and I didn't fully know why. Until he suddenly began to ask me the dreaded personal questions everyone knows. So how old are you? I felt my heart drop and thought to myself, oh god, please don't do this. But I maintained my customer surface smile and replied as casually as possible. Old enough to carry. I was actually open carrying a pistol at the time, something highly encouraged by my gun-loving father. However, it was also a great deterrent for some of the creeps who came into the store, and I hoped it would deter any further unwanted advances by the man. Honestly, I believe to this day that the fact I had that gun on my person is what most likely saved me from something truly awful occurring to me that night. Back to the story itself. I, unfortunately, had to bend over to properly hook up the transfer nozzle between the two propane tanks to give the man his gas. As such, I positioned myself so that my side faced him. Without even trying to be subtle, this at least 50-year-old man sidestepped so that he was directly behind me and only a couple of feet away. Simultaneously, he asked me if I lived in the area and which school I went to, if I went to college. My anxiety spiked. This man was suddenly out of my field of view, and he clearly was not simply trying to be friendly. Quickly, I sidestepped again, rounding his propane tank while I continued screwing the hose into place so that I was somewhat facing him again. Despite my adrenaline beginning to pump, I somehow outwardly maintained my cool. I don't go to college anymore. I don't live around here. Again, he abruptly sidestepped so that he was directly behind me, gradually inching closer as well. Oh, so where do you live? Once again, I immediately moved to the opposite direction to keep him in my periphery while I worked. All the while, it's getting darker out by the minute with a singular streetlight illuminating the area. There's no one else around either, not even another vehicle in the parking lot. It was just us. If the man wanted to do anything to me, no one would have witnessed it. My heart was racing. Well, uh, I live about a half hour from here with my parents, I said in return, trying to work faster. We actually went back and forth for a bit longer, awkwardly sidestepping in what was basically a back alley while I checked the safety of the tanks and tried to keep this creep within my field of vision. All the while, he tried to move closer and remain directly behind me no matter where I moved. We were basically dancing in the dusk air, but I didn't want to be a part of that repugnant waltz. Finally, I got the two tanks properly hooked up to each other. I stepped back while it loudly went to work. I then looked directly at the man for the first time since leaving the building. He was staring me dead in the eye now with the creepiest, widest smile I've seen to this day. Without breaking eye contact, he took a step forward and spoke. It's a good thing you got that gun on you right now. It gets dangerous at night, you know. 
At the time, I was openly carrying a 9mm pistol. In that moment, I was immeasurably thankful that my dad had previously suggested I have it during late nights. Taking a small step back and against a concrete post, I forced a smile. Yeah, it's good for protection. Maybe I could show you my gun sometime, sweetheart. He stole another step towards me, standing a mere foot from my face. I wanted to simultaneously gag and run as my anxiety shot through the roof. But stupidly, I decided being compliant to my job was more important. I didn't want him to steal the propane and subsequently harm my father's business. So I just took another step back, swerving around the post, and I said nothing. Thankfully, his propane tank filled up only a few seconds later, and the machine shut itself off as it was meant to. Ready to run away, I unhooked that little cylinder so fast I would have made Usain Bolt envious, and by the grace of the universe, another car pulled into the parking lot right next to us at the same time. Their headlights landed directly onto both the man and myself. Instantly, he stepped back a couple of feet and actually began freaking whistling like a stereotypical, I'm not doing anything suspicious, character. Silently thanking my impromptu heroes in the car, I calculated the propane's cost, then walked back into the store with the man following behind me. Thankfully, the couple from the car also followed us inside, and the man kept his distance as we walked. Once inside, I told my coworker what his propane cost was, and I immediately went to the back to calm down while she handled the transaction. Overall, the entire encounter lasted only a few minutes, but with the way he acted, the blatantly inappropriate questions he asked me, and that predatory smile, it honestly felt much longer. Thankfully, he never actually touched me during the whole ordeal, and I visibly possessed a weapon. But given the other circumstances of the environment, time of day, and the fact that we were alone outside until that couple pulled up, things could have easily gone much worse, and likely would have. I truly believe that man harbored malicious intentions, and that he would have acted upon his thoughts had I not kept a gun on my person, or if that couple had not pulled into the lot and parked right where they had, the moment they had. Moral of the story. Always keep a method of self-defense on you, especially if you work a customer service job. There will always be people with ill intent to encounter, but your protection is worth so much more than any job. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. 
It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Dog Farm from Bryce R. When I was in high school, I was looking for a part-time job. I eventually found one that sounded perfect. It was a greyhound farm, which was owned and run by my baseball coach. Knowing all the guys that worked there made this too good to be true. After working there, I learned there are multiple shifts that we call turnouts, where we'd go to the farm and turn out all the dogs from inside the buildings out. There are two times for this, besides morning shifts, one afternoon and one later in the evening, about when it starts getting dark. When I first began working there, I always had someone with me, who would perform the turnouts for me. But as I got more experience, I figured everything out, and I was able to start doing it all by myself. My first late turnout went super well. I did the usual feeding of puppies, letting dogs out, and just sitting and waiting before putting them all up and heading home. As I kept doing the late turnouts, things got creepy. It began with simple things, like lights being on after knowing you had just turned them off. I didn't put much thought into this, other than the fact that I may have been distracted at the time and forgot to shut it off. I was a teenager after all, and I was practically addicted to my phone. Eventually, when I was mixing the feed for the puppies, things got even weirder. The door that led to all the dogs just opened out of nowhere, and it sounded like someone was walking down the aisle. This made no sense, because if someone was doing this, the dogs would be going nuts. But there was nothing nothing but the sound of footsteps. So I hurried out of the building, deciding to go feed the pups and continue with turnout. The rest of that night went smooth, but the following night wasn't so good. I remember the same footsteps happening all the time. I remember the sensation of feeling watched at all times on the farm, which was just wrong because no one lived on the farm. It was just dogs. Many nights, the dogs would go from completely silent to raising hell in a matter of seconds, but there was no way to see what they were barking at, so I figured it was maybe another dog somewhere on the farm, maybe a dog that got out or something. While this was still creepy, it still possibly had some kind of rational explanation. I eventually talked with a buddy of mine I'd worked with, and he told me the truth that I wasn't at all prepared for. Before my boss had purchased the land to turn it into a dog farm, the previous owner had hung himself in the barn. At night, you could sometimes hear him walking around some of the buildings. Of course, wanting to see if he was pulling my leg or being factual about this, I talked to my boss who told me the exact same story. On my next turnout, I specifically remember leaving doors open and lights on, purposely, to see what would happen, to see if I could catch anything weird. And I did. That night, after all the dogs were in the yard, they all huddled in the corner furthest from the building, which was strange because it was raining. Most of the time when it's raining, the dogs sit under the roof, unless they need to relieve themselves. All of a sudden, I hear the big door slam shut, harder than what a draft could do. Slowly, I walked inside to investigate, and that's when I found footprints of muddy boots which appeared to have walked from one side of the building to the other, 
Knowing I only came in one door and the fact I was wearing tennis shoes, this was horrifying. I told myself maybe it's my boss helping me out with the dogs before the storm gets too crazy. I then hear the crack of thunder and lightning, with the sounds of dogs barking wildly now. I ran outside to see what was going on, and I see that one of the dogs had been struck by lightning. I called my boss to let him know of the unfortunate event, to which he said, I'll be there in five minutes, gotta get dressed. So my boss wasn't there. If those footprints weren't his, then whose were they? To this day I wonder who it was or what it was that made those muddy boot prints on the floor, and why a dog had been struck by lightning, which had never happened there before. Did I upset the spirit of the old farmer by leaving doors open and lights on, or was it just an unfortunate event? I doubt I'll ever know, and I'm okay with that. Creepy Customer from Joey D. I was a 20-year-old guy, a six-foot-one with dark hair and an average build. A few years back, I was working for a local convenience store in York, England to pay for my university rent and bills. Our store was the last one open that late, midnight, and on Fridays, we would often get drunk customers on nights out, coming in five minutes before closing, taking their sweet-ass time to leave, delaying our ability to close up shop and go home. One Friday, I got to work at 4 p.m., and half an hour into the shift, our store manager and staff supervisors went into a meeting in the tiny office at the back of the shop. I was restocking shelves when I heard the double bell for my colleague on the tills. A double bell is for a manager, and knowing they were stuck in a meeting, I went over to help, noticing there was just one customer at the tills. I also quickly noticed my colleague looked stressed. I walked up in front of the customer and asked if I could help. My coworker leaned closer and whispered that he didn't feel comfortable serving the customers. The guy was clearly drunk. He was trying to buy a large bottle of cheap wine, and you could definitely smell alcohol on him. I kindly explained to the customer that we were not able to serve him at this time. The guy stared into my eyes and quietly whispered, please. I replied that we were not able to sell him alcohol at that time. After much awkward silence and eye contact, this guy just staring deadpan into my face, he grabbed the bottle of wine and swung at me, narrowly missing my head and bringing the bottle down hard on the baggage shelf. He hit it so hard he dented the part of the counter where people put their baskets full of shopping stuff. How the bottle didn't just break, I have no idea but that could have been my head. I probably would have died, or at least be in a coma. My colleague on the till grabbed the bottle and pulled it away from him. The panic not quite having set in, I calmly repeated the man would need to leave. He storms off past me, and as I followed to make sure he left the store, he spun around asking if I was religious. He pointed a finger to my throat, saying the KKK would come after me. He then turned and walked out the store, as soon as he left, I started to feel sick. My legs were shaking. I laughed it off and went back to the shelf I was stacking. Shortly after, the manager and senior members of the team emerged from the back office. Upon telling them what happened, they said they already knew, as they had seen the events transpire through the store's CCTV camera. I asked them why they didn't come to help, 
they said they wanted to see what happened. Needless to say, I wasn't working there very long after that. We saw quite a few sites working late at night on a Friday in the busy city with two universities. But nothing came close to nearly being knocked out or worse by an angry drunk wielding some cheap wine. Tag Ripper Tom from Archer About a decade ago, I was a young, newly married woman whose husband was away on deployment. During the time, I lived alone. So in order to make the days and months go by faster, I took on more shifts at my job and just worked as much as I could to stay busy. While working in a big department store, it wasn't difficult to find extra shifts. Every day, there was at least one person that called in sick or simply didn't show up. After a few months of filling in around the store, I made the move to a completely different department when a better position opened up. While I did enjoy my old team, our team leader was a walking disaster, and I just couldn't stand them anymore. They were the kind of boss that would criticize how we completed store tasks, like printing and signing merchandise, while not knowing how to operate the program that printed out our signs in the first place. When I began working in the men's department, I was really happy with the change. My old boss was way on the other side of the store, and my new department was close to the mall entrance. So when we had customer appreciation events, like handing out candy during Halloween or balloon making during the 4th of July, I was close to the excitement. Overall, my experience working with the customers in this department was more pleasant, not to mention easier than any other department I'd been in. So if someone was looking for a dress shirt for a wedding, I would pick out a few nice examples that were less formal, and even some trouser options that would complete the look. Living on Oahu, a lot of people attend events that require aloha attire. I think if you aren't used to navigating the bright and strange world of Hawaiian shirts, it can be intimidating and overwhelming. Another situation I enjoyed helping with was when families were shopping for a funeral in order to dress the deceased loved one. Sure, that sounds weird to hear. It sounds strange when I say it out loud. But there's something really rewarding in being able to help someone find a complete outfit to dress their dearly departed in. I remember one customer. She was an older woman who had mobility issues. So I had her sit by the cashier station and describe to me what she was looking for and what sizes she needed. I brought different options to her and in the end, she quickly decided on a charcoal suit with a deep blue dress shirt, navy socks, and navy underwear. I'll never forget how thankful she was that everything was so fast and simple. Along with all the great customers though, there was a handful of terrible ones. I think every store has their own set of terrible customers. The difference comes down to how the stores themselves choose to handle them. This customer, who I'll call Tom, was one of those cases where if the upper management or even loss prevention store security had stepped in sooner to handle him, I don't think he would have had the chance to harass almost all the women in the store. The first time I met Tom was in the suit section of our department. He was looking through a rack of clearance dress pants and asked for some assistance with finding his size. During the interaction, he told me that he was homeless and that he was looking for a nice shirt and slacks to go on job interviews in. Tom was a very tall and broad man in his late 50s, so I knew the size he was looking for was in a different area, the big and tall section. After we got there, he was able to find two pairs of dress slacks and a few shirts that were all on clearance. 
Tom was really happy with his purchase and I felt good about being able to help another customer. When he was leaving, Tom said that I was the best and that he'd look for me every time he needed help. He said it in such a positive manner that I didn't find it strange. It didn't feel strange or creepy at the time, just positive. About a week later, I saw a sticky note with Tom's name and phone number on the bulletin board we keep in the back. It wasn't unusual to take customers' phone numbers in order to call them back when we got a specific item back in stock. I asked the department manager about the note, and she said that Tom came in during the week looking for me, but she ended up helping him for over an hour with dress slacks and shirts again. When I told her about the last purchase I helped him with, we just figured maybe he got the job he interviewed for, and he was now buying extra dress clothes since he knew they were on sale. I didn't think much about it until that weekend. On Sundays, I usually came in early to change all the signs in our department. This shift was special because it was 6am to 10am. We got to leave early, but had to clock in 3 hours before the store opened, and work without air conditioner. Around 9am when the store opened, I was double checking my signs when I noticed Tom walking in my direction. We made small talk for a few minutes until he asked me if there was anything new on clearance. I pointed him in the direction of some plain, single-color, short-sleeved t-shirts that had been reduced a second time. The brand was probably getting rid of that type of shirt because they'd gone down to about three bucks each. Tom seemed really happy with this and went through each color looking for his size. With only about 10 minutes left before I was able to clock out, I escorted Tom to the cash register and proceeded to check him out. Sometimes on busy mornings, it helped to waste a little time by jumping in with the cashiers and checking out a few customers. While I was scanning his shirts, Tom asked if I could double bag the shirts. He explained that the bags were really useful to have and they also kept his clothes dry since he had some storage issues. Feeling great about helping Tom again, I folded the shirts he purchased and double bagged them for him. No problem. The problem arrived when we were waiting for the machine to approve his credit card. While he looked down at the machine, he said, You know, you remind me of someone. Gosh, why can't I remember her name? Not really thinking about it, I just handed him his receipt and started to tell him to have a nice day when he interrupted me and said, Oh, Betty Boop, that's who it is. You remind me of Betty Boop. Oh, uh, that's interesting. I blurted out, feeling completely caught off guard. Yeah, did you know she was a sex symbol in the 30s? He added with a degree of huskiness that made me so uncomfortable that I said goodbye and just went to the back of the store to clock out. I told my department manager about it, and she said she'd keep tabs on him since it seemed like he was coming in often. I changed my schedule and forgot about Tom for a little while. Maybe a month later, I was standing in line buying rabbit food when I heard a familiar voice behind me say, You look different when you're not in your work clothes. It was Tom. Caught off guard, I really didn't know what to say, so I just replied with, Yep, it's uh, my day off, and I turned back around. I quickly paid in cash and ran to my car. I know he wasn't following me, but I still took the long way home and cut through a lot of back roads along the way just in case. When my department and floor manager were talking about Tom a few days later, I brought up that I saw him outside of work and how weird it was. 
To their credit, they both took me aside and seriously asked me if I thought he was stalking me. And I don't believe that he was. It was weird that we were in the same checkout line, but other than being creepy, what else could be said of the guy? What else could I say he was guilty of? So I told my managers that I didn't want to help him when he came in. Then they scheduled me in the women's department for a few weeks. While I wish I could say that it ended there, it didn't. Working in the women's department was a short-term relief to a problem that was still ongoing. My department manager said that she was dealing with Tom when he came in to try to defuse his presence. After he had repeatedly gave her his number under the guise of checking in on inventory, he asked her for her personal number to contact her directly. When she told him that he could always reach her with the store number, he tried to file a complaint against her, saying that she had bad customer service. I think when Tom realized he wasn't getting as much attention as he used to, he decided to shift his tactics. Instead of asking a lot of questions about clothing items, he would take them into the fitting rooms and rip off all the tags, then stand in line to pay for them. By ripping off the tags, he ensured that the cashiers had a hard time scanning the clothes and had to call for clerks like me in order to find out the prices. Looking back on it now, I think he did this so more people had to help and tend to him when he was in the store. In one incident, when I was back working on the men's side, I had to price check a few belts that Tom was trying to purchase. Not wanting to go there in person, I called the cashier over the phone. She said that she had a customer with four belts and no tags, and that the customer said they're all on clearance. I checked on the belts she described to me and tried to handle the matter over the phone but it was beginning to escalate the longer I refused to walk there in person. So I called for a manager and then got the exact belt Tom was trying to buy and I brought it over to the cashier station. Tom was really upset when he saw me. He put it together that I was the person on the phone who obviously didn't want to be there in person. He started yelling. Oh, I see how it is. You and Cheryl playing games. You only want to talk to me and be nice to me when you're on the clock, huh? I see how it is. Cheryl is my department manager. Luckily for me, by this time, our store manager arrived, and I handed the whole situation over to him like a dirty diaper. The next morning before the store opened, we had a small floor meeting about what happened and the whole situation with Tom. It was there that I found out Tom liked to hang out in the shoe department as well, and many of the shoe sales clerks had similar stories. And the cashiers that had to help Tom check out reported that he liked to chat them up too and tried to invite many of them to lunch. They only started to make complaints about him when he began to ask for their personal information. What resulted from this meeting was having the undercover security guards walk around the floor more often. I don't know if Tom picked up on this or not, but he broadened his scope to the rest of the store, so no one could accuse him of targeting one particular person. Amongst other reasons, I quit that year. Even though I didn't work there anymore, I was still connected to my coworkers on Facebook where they could complain every few weeks about Tom. Even a year later, he was still roaming the different departments, trying to chat up female employees, making them uncomfortable, then getting upset when he was rejected. Before he finally disappeared, he had a big incident in the jewelry department. Apparently, he asked the associate there to show him various pieces of men's accessories, then tried to ask her which pieces she liked. Thinking he meant which pieces did she think would make a great gift, she pulled out a few rings and bracelets for him to look at. 
When she was trying to show him the different watch face sizes against her own wrist, he stopped her and complimented how nice her skin was and how she had the perfect hands to work in jewelry. That such nice hands deserve a nice watch like that and that he could buy it for her if she wanted him to. My insides cringed when I heard about all that. I can't imagine how that woman felt put on the spot while she was just trying to do her job. From what I heard, the next associate put all the jewelry away, and when Tom started yelling, the store security called the police. I don't know what happened to Tom after that. Sometimes I wonder if he moved on to bothering the female associates in Macy's or maybe Target. A Broken Clock From iDoctor78 When I was 22, I worked at this gas station a couple towns over from where I lived at the time. This happened in the 80s. The place had been around since the late 40s, but by the time I got there it was old and dinky and rotting. Over the years, the neighborhood it was in had seen itself slowly fill up with the poor, gaining the reputation as the bad side of town. My boss warned me about that during my interview. He said the place had already been robbed three times in just that year. I told him I didn't care. I needed the money. He said there were plenty of other jobs on the other side of town who would love to hire a nice young guy like me. I said they would have to find someone else, because I didn't have a car, and I wasn't going to go all that way just to make the same amount of money I could here. He said, okay, but he'd warned me. I was put on the night shift, nine o'clock to seven in the morning. Easy work. All I had to do was watch the register, maybe stock or rearrange the shelves and coolers or sweep here and there on occasion. But most of the time I just stood around, watching the little black and white TV they had in the corner behind the register. All the guff my boss had given me about danger and all that crap seemed useless. Hardly anyone ever caused any trouble. Hardly anybody ever even came here. Sure, I'd get a few tweakers who would come in and walk around the store like I was an idiot, trying to steal stuff, but they always backed off when I began monitoring them. Druggies are usually cowards around here, when you get down to it. There was, however, one night... It had been raining for three days straight, and most of the roads in and out of town were flooded. I wasn't even supposed to work that night, but the other guy, Zach, had called in. He said his driveway was blocked off and overflowing. So there I was on my day off, alone. The night was cold and wet and dragging on and on and on. Around two in the morning, this old guy walked in. I wish I could say my senses had been working that night, that I'd gotten a bad feeling about him right away, but I didn't. He just seemed like any old creep in that town. Kind of dirty looking, but harmless in a way. I never saw him try to pocket anything, even though he spent a good while looping the store, going up and down each aisle. He was friendly too. That was the strange part. I know it sounds funny when I say that, but anyone who has ever worked in retail can agree that most people just go in and out without so much as a hello or have a nice day. This guy, on the other hand, was a natural talker. He saw me watching the fight on TV, and that was a 10-minute conversation right there. He hated Muhammad Ali. I ignored him on that one. 
After that, he went off on Doritos, saying they were nasty, along with a whole bunch of other stuff in the store. Then he talked about hating the rain, spending a good 30 minutes filling me in on his leaky roof. I was getting tired. I asked him if he was going to buy anything, and that seemed to hit a nerve. His face grew cold and pale, and he stared at me for a few moments, like a statue never blinking. I was about ready to reach for the phone and call the cops, but he broke the tension with a smile. Never in my life had I been sickened by a smile, but that was my first. It was this bizarre plastic grin full of crooked yellow teeth, a grin that seemed phony, like it was his best try. He spoke again, and this time I got a nose full of rotting meat, smelled like it was two weeks old. You got a bathroom around here? We did, but for a second I thought about lying to him and saying no. Then I ran it through my head. I could see him losing it on me and maybe pulling out a knife or gun. I didn't feel like dying that night, so I shrugged and told him where the bathroom was. I was glad to be alone again. Hopefully he'd go and get out. A few cars pulled up then, and I went out to tell them our pumps were empty and to go to the Conoco a few blocks up the road. There were a few complaints, but most turned out to be understanding, and even went in to get snacks and beer, making small talk in the process. It made the time pass by faster. Before long, it was nearing five o'clock, and I was itching to go home. A loud bang from the other side of the store killed that dream in a heartbeat. The place was empty when it happened, and I could feel that silence, thick and unwavering, running up the back of my neck. I stood, thinking about what to do next. I never saw or heard that old man go out the door. I fought away my initial panic, but my heart, it wouldn't stop thumping. Animal instinct, I guess. Then I remembered. I swallowed the lump in my throat and approached the bathroom door. Locked even though there was a big sign that said specifically not to lock the door. It had been put up there ever since my coworker Dennis, caught a girl on the toilet with a needle in her arm. Plus, it was written in big red letters. So, obviously, the old geezer was either blind or hated rules. I knocked. Are you still in there? Nothing. I knocked again. Sir, are you okay? Once more, nothing. I felt a chill go through me. Just my luck, I thought. He'd probably pulled an Elvis and plopped dead right there on the toilet. And now it was me who was going to have to spend the whole morning dealing with the cops and paramedics, when I should be getting home to bed. I sighed. I went and got the bathroom key and jiggled the door open. What I stumbled upon stopped me dead in my tracks blood. There was nothing but blood, a big pool of it beside the toilet and smeared up the wall, but no body. Stupidly, I called out for him, but he obviously wasn't ever going to be there. I nearly fell over. I was so dizzy, like I was dreaming. I wished I was dreaming or hallucinating or something other than what was happening. There was a window in that bathroom, opened, and the trail of blood ending right at the sill. But it was so high. I couldn't imagine a man of his age having the strength to pull himself up all that way. 
He must be in the store still, I thought, roaming around on his tiptoes, maybe with a knife. Maybe this was his plan, mess with the kid before sticking him for good. I was trembling. Somehow I managed to control my breathing. I shut and locked that damn door. I got my pocket knife out, and every bit of my soul was screaming at me to ditch the whole scene. But still, I searched the entire store, front to back, top to bottom, reminding myself that if I were to bolt, the only thing on the cop's mind would be me. However, not a soul was in the building except me. I grabbed the phone behind the register. I dialed my boss to see what he thought I should do. I was thinking of what to say, ready to hear my boss's tired voice answer, before noticing the line had been cut. My stomach sank. I'd spent my whole life watching movies and hearing about bad things happening to people in the middle of the night, but this, this was real. I locked the front door, then approached the back door, my knife ready. I pushed it open slow, the slowest I'd ever been, and I peeked out. All I saw was the trash can being overtaken by the river of rainwater flooding down the alleyway. I made sure both front and back doors were locked, then flipped over the closed sign. I returned to the bathroom and took a hard look at the mess I faced. I kept telling myself it wasn't real, trying to force any kind of logic onto the situation, but my eyes would not lie to me. They couldn't lie to me, and now what they were seeing was that blood getting cold and hardening to the floor. I don't know how long it took me to get it all mopped up. I was in a daze, and I kept looking over my shoulder, ready for the old man to leap out of some overlooked shadow, eyes wild and knife in hand, pouncing on me. Part of me prayed for just that, to get it all over and done with, so I didn't have to be afraid anymore. But no, I was all alone, the sun taking its sweet time to rise and pulling me out of this hellish night. I went back out into the alleyway, dumping the dirty blood water right there into the street, watching it run off past the trash can and into the storm drain. I knew it would mix up with that water to where you would never see the red in it, and it would flow far, far away. I bleached and squeezed that mop until it was back to its dirty gray glory. My wrists then were sore as hell. I was all done. The bathroom wasn't sparkling clean, but unless you had Superman vision or something, you couldn't even tell there had been a person in there, let alone blood. I was glad about that, yet paranoid. I remained rigid behind the register, distracting myself with the TV until my shift was over. A little bit later, Annie, my coworker, came in for a shift change. I clocked out and walked about as fast as I could in the pouring rain, ignoring the friendly strangers offering me rides. Eventually, I caught the bus back to my town, got a seat all the way at the end. I was too tired and sick to sit beside anyone. I wanted to be alone for the rest of my life. In the days that followed, my sanity crumbled. I asked for day shifts, but even then, I was still gripped with a sickly fear that people, especially the police, would start asking around about that old man. I was paranoid that some phantom witness with selective sight had been in that store with me, had just seen me and only me working the mop 
and would go off telling everyone in the news about it that that's all that people would think about that night. But nothing ever happened, and I think that was the worst part. The days went on like they always had. It was like the old man had never existed. I quit that place not too long after. I never went back to that town, never told anyone about what happened until now. It keeps me up at night. I wonder about that man, where he went, if anywhere. I wonder if he's dead or not. And when I do, all I see is that blood and me mopping it away, a scared little boy. I don't know if that means anything, but I do know that my habit of suppression about that night has broken me, and worse, my family. My ex-wife doesn't speak to me, and my two girls hardly ever do, unless it's a birthday. I blame that on my anger. Angry that I never got answers about that night. Angry that I ran away from those questions in the first place. Angry that I get to wake up for another day, and let's face it, that old man probably can't. I should have called the cops. They would have helped. I should have done anything other than what I chose to do. I chose to be a coward and forget about it. It's a burden I've carried all these years, and it's a burden I'll carry until I'm gone. Tales from the Break Room is a viewer-submitted podcast featuring allegedly true scary stories that happened on the way to, on the way from, or at work. If you want your story to be narrated on the show, send it to us at eeriecast.com submit. As of April 14th, we're paying three cents per word for stories that are approved and make it onto the show. Submission does not guarantee approval or payment. For a limited time only, PayPal only. Tales from the Break Room is an EerieCast Network original podcast hosted by Darkness Prevails. You can follow him on Twitter at Dark Prevails, and you can hear thousands more stories read by him on our other show, Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also enjoy plenty more horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com.